Uh, good morning to you. Um, let me say that um, just for a moment, pause and I'll let you know how much I love you uh, as a church and you as individuals. I speak for my family and I speak, I think, for our whole staff. Um, what a marvel it is to be a part of a church like this. Uh, and I know that often we come on Sunday mornings and relate in uh, some uh, official capacity, and, uh, but I want you to know uh, it warms my heart uh, to be here on Sunday mornings, to be among you all, to hear you all, to see you loving one another, and you've got my heart this morning as well. We had a couple join our church last week, um, and they, they told me before they joined that they had visited several churches uh, uh, near here once they moved here from out of state, and uh, when they came to Poplar Springs, they felt right at home instantly because of the love that they felt, uh, because uh, particularly that on their first time here, several of you uh, went on your own to them and just showed them welcome and love, and it made all the difference to them. And that's true every Sunday when I walk through the halls and hear your voices in your life groups. Um, the Lord has done something very special here at Poplar Springs, and uh, we, of course we credit him for that, uh, but sure, I also want to say a thank you to you, okay? And so... Love you this morning. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> we'll be in verse 20 today. We'll actually back up to verse 18 just so we have a good framework of context there uh, to look at. We've been in this text for, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 rather, we've been in that text for a few weeks now. And if you remember last, year, last week, uh, we opened up with this prayer that the Apostle Paul is praying for these Christians. Uh, and whenever someone prays in the Bible, pay attention, because they could pray for anything. What they do choose to pray for uh, is very important, and he chose to pray that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. And you remember we talked about the hotel room. We talked about going into the dark room and not being able to see uh, every shadowy corner and uh, what's in the sink, you know, and every rust stain in the bathtub and the Chef Boyardee streaks by the, by the microwave. But when you, when you get better light, you, you add some illumination, all that stuff comes clear, right? You're able to see that, and that's what the apostle has prayed for here, spiritually speaking, that they would recognize, realize the gift they've been given in Christ, and that the lights would turn on their heart to see all that that means in every corner of the room, what the power of God, what it means for them, what the salvation of Jesus Christ holds for their life now. And certainly, yes, for the age to come. Certainly, yes, for that time when we're in glory or we meet Jesus, but especially for right now. He wants him to grow up into the realization, the application of what it means to be in Christ. And so we're going to move on to the, the lower parts of this uh, section here where he tells us this, that uh, he wants us to remember a, a few things. He wants us to know what is the hope to which he has called us, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now, the first two he mentions and moves on, but the last one, power, he parks on for a moment. He unpacks for us what it means, what kind of power 
this is. And he ties it to the work of God in raising, exalting, and appointing Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at today. If you have your Bible, uh, you'll want to turn there in your copy of God's Word. If you don't have one with you today, these words will be on the screen, and most of them. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here without one. And so we have some on the table uh, in the back just for you. Don't be afraid to pick those up if you need one. A good, reliable translation at no cost to you, just a gift from the heart of our church to you. Just how great is the power that we have access to as Christians. Let's read this together. The apostles praying this. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches, the bounty of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Remember last week we talked about, what was it, six or seven words that are just stacked on top of each other there to kind of heap up the, uh, the sum of this power that's represented. And then he tells us in verse 20, speaking of this power, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but in the age to come and he put all things how many things all things <clears throat> under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the church is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all we're going to see how great the power of God is toward his believers today. We're going to see it in three ways. The first is this. <clears throat> the power that God wants us to know and to experience, to apply and appropriate in this life is the same power that raised Jesus. This is the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. This is the power, verse 20 says, that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. That is an unquestionably ultimate power. Uh, the question here might be, well, that's good that God is powerful, but how do I know he's powerful enough for me? If I place the weight of my life on him, if I give him my faith and my belief, if I sacrifice, if I let it cost me, if I lead my children this way, if I approach my profession this way, if I stake my claim on what he has said against a culture that is against me, how do I know that God has the power to get me through? And how do I know that there's not some greater power that is going to undo what God has done? I thought of this this week. I <clears throat> was playing with the kids once on vacation. And when I was a kid, a friend of mine um, got an inheritance uh, in high school, got a big inheritance, and he bought a brand-new Ford F-150, 1994, brand-new Ford F-150. <clears throat> That's not it, but... Uh, <clears throat> But later on, I thought that was the coolest thing. I mean, it was red, and he decked it out just, just like Geo does, and he, uh, he, he made it all his own, and um, I thought that was that's awesome until I saw an F, what, 250. I thought, those exist, you know? Why would anyone buy an F-150 when there's an F-250, right? And I saw later on an F-350, and an F-450, 
I thought, man, how high do these things go? And so on vacation once, we had a little contest in our car. I offered $20 to whoever could find the highest 50, right? The, the, the highest number. And we got as high as an F750. I can't remember who won. Uh, it was Jackson, maybe, who, who found the F750 uh, in Panama City Beach, uh, Florida, on the side of the road. So we went online and we looked it up. These go as high as F1350, right? And this here is only an F950 that I'm showing you right now. I'm saving up for one uh, as we speak. <laughs> That'll be in the age to come, right? Um, <laughs> An F950. Here's the point I'm trying to make. <clears throat> yes, Jesus is powerful. And yes, the apostle says, here's my prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of the power of God. But is God the most powerful? How can we know that he's the most powerful? How can we know that ultimately the buck stops there? Uh, the answer is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power that God has for us is the same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's a, what they call a game changer. That's what they call a, a showstopper. There is nothing bigger and badder than what God has done in Jesus Christ by raising him from the dead. We're used to talking about this. It, it seems very familiar to us. and so almost common to us. And the more common something is, the more uh, easily accessible it is, the less we sometimes think about it or regard it. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is supposed to be something that staggers the mind. If you imagine that morning of the resurrection, in that garden, him having laid there for a portion of at least three days, the Lord laying wrapped in a tomb, dead, in a cold and sealed off place, and the power of God coming into that zone. That zone which was not supposed to be tampered with. The power of God doesn't care. Here he comes. The power of God in that quiet garden. Nuzzling up next to the tomb. But there's two Roman guards there. The power of God has no trouble setting them aside. I mean just freezing them in fright. And muting and stifling. The power of that empire that stood there. It's nothing for God. And there's a seal placed on the tomb. The authority and, and the vestiges of all the power of that mighty Roman government, the power of God has no problem violating that. The power of God has no problem rolling away that heavy stone and going into that forbidden place and looking into the face of death and saying, give him up. Give up my son. He will be raised. This is the power of God that not only worked in the resurrection, but that works in you and me this morning. That is available to us, even if it is hidden in the dark shadows of some corner of our lives. The Apostle Paul here is praying, light it up. Look over here. Showcase what God can do and let that become a real part of your life. This is the same power that raised Christ from the grave. That means we can have peace this morning. That means all the things that we want to cling to and clamor for and spend our lives doing and hoping for that we could have power. We don't have to do that anymore. God has all the power. That means we can have confidence 
when God calls us to the mission field, we say, Lord, this is scary. Lord, I don't know if, 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 I, if I can get, the, I don't know if something might happen to me. God knows, and he's got the power to provide and to take care of you. God, I don't know if I can forgive from this. God, I don't know if I can trust you when my heart has been hurt so many times. God has the power that you can rely on him. He has all power. We have peace and we have confidence through what God has done in Jesus Christ. What more do we need when Jesus is raised from the dead? And I mean that this morning. I really mean that. Ask you, what more do I need when Jesus is raised from the dead? What if this relationship doesn't work out? Jesus is raised from the dead. But what if this job comes to an end? Jesus, what if I have to move away? Jesus is raised from the dead. And the power that did that is the power that you have access to this morning. You better bet that the God who raised Jesus from the dead is able to supply your needs. He is able to uphold your calling. He is able to heal your heart and to work his will in your life. We can stop seeking it elsewhere because Jesus lives. And so the power that raised Jesus is available to you and me. <clears throat> but this is also the same power that exalted Jesus. We talk about the exaltation of Jesus kind of uh, on the opposite end of the incarnation of Jesus. You know what the incarnation is. That's when he came to earth and took on flesh. The word carnate means meat. If you go to the Mexican restaurant and say, I want it con carne, what does that mean? With meat, right? Lots of meat. Put the meat on. Cheese too. And all of that. Uh, you, you want it with the meat. When, when Jesus became incarnate, it means he put on the, he put on the meat. Uh, he put on the flesh and, and came to the earth to be our Savior. But the exaltation is different than the incarnation. The exaltation is when after his crucifixion and resurrection, God exalted him. God restored him. He ascended to be with God and was seated back on his rightful throne where he belonged forever. By the miraculous power of God, he was restored to his rightful and eternal place of ruling dominion over all things. And it's significant here what he is doing now that he's been exalted. Look at it with me if you will. He's exalted because God took him and seated him at his right hand. What's Jesus doing? He's at the right hand of God. That's a place of authority and honor, of power and joy. What it means is equality with God the Father. Jesus is back where he was eternally in a ruling place of authority. He's there at God's right hand. Not his left hand, not behind God, not lower than God. He's right there seated in this prize position where he belongs. That's what he's doing there. He's at God's right hand. Secondly, he's sitting. That means he's finished, right? His work is done. His saving work for you and me is not only finished, it is complete. There's nothing left to be done in order to bring salvation to us. Jesus, his work is complete toward us. And lastly, I want to see here what he's not doing. If you look at other scenes in scripture of the throne room of God, you look to Isaiah or you look to the Revelation, you'll see there are other depictions of this same space. 
And right there, in every moment, you'll see that people are doing a few things. They're bowing, right? They're falling. They're kneeling. Sometimes they're throwing crowns, right, at the throne of Jesus, right? They're hiding their faces in Isaiah. They're hiding. They can't even look at God and his holiness. They're covering their bodies because they know how unworthy they are. Or they're praising God. They're just calling it holy, Holy, holy are you, Lord. Uh, it's noticeable here that Jesus, though, right there in that very same space, in the throne room of God, guess what he's not doing? Jesus isn't bowing. He's not bowing there. This is one who has been placed, this verse says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Jesus is above all things. And the reason he's not bowing to God is because he is established once again there as God. I brought something today I want to show you. You may have seen this before, this little game. <clears throat> Anybody ever seen that? You know what it's called? Rock'em Sock'em. That's right. I've seen that. I never played this game, but I've seen it from time to time. And I brought it today because sometimes I feel like we think um, of Jesus or God, and we think of Satan or demons, kind of like this game. That they're, they're, they're two divine or supernatural forces battling it out, and God's the good side, and he's powerful and supernatural and divine, and but, of course, Satan's the other side, and he's powerful and supernatural and divine, and more or less they're on equal footing. Is that true? No, not at all. And I don't want you to buy into that this morning. Remember this. The Bible asks this question in Romans chapter 1. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? What's the answer to that question? Nobody. Why is that? Because God has placed him uh, in the heavenly places Above? No. Far above. Now, I'm above today by about two steps. But Jesus is far above. That means there's no equality between him and Satan. Do you know Satan is a created being? He is a created being. Do you know the demons who follow and who do his will are created beings? God is uncreated and eternal. Uh, there is no close, uh, closeness between them. You know, the Bible asks this question. The Lord is on my side. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? There is power in knowing that Jesus is exalted and sits on his throne. The Bible says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. The Bible says in 1 John, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let me ask you this. When it comes to the sovereignty of God, what lesser things have you brought up to that level what lesser things have you given the seat of sovereignty in your life you might say well Matthew I hear you saying this but the cancer the cancer seems sovereign to me today the cancer is not sovereign my friend the Lord Jesus is the only he's a one and only sovereign well Matthew the cancer seems to be winning uh, it, you may think that but the Lord Jesus presides over all things, the Bible tells us, according only to the counsel of his will. 
The Bible tells us he works all things together for the what? For the good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The cancer is not sovereign. Matthew, the, the finances are sovereign in my life right now. I mean, they're winning. No, the Lord Jesus is sovereign. You serve a God who has extended to you power that raised Jesus from the dead, that exalted Jesus in the heavenly places. There is no equal, not even remotely, to the power of God, of the, to the power of the God of the Bible that is demonstrated through the living and reigning Christ seated in heaven. He is seated there. His work is finished, and his power is available to you. The same power that raised Jesus, the same power that exalted Jesus, but lastly, the same power that established Jesus. Verse 22 and 23 are interesting and difficult. Here's what they say. And he put all things under his feet, that is God, put all things under Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. As simple as I know, uh, this is talking about Jesus being established by God in two different roles. The role number one of conqueror. And here's what I mean by that. God took all things and he placed them beneath the feet of Jesus. This is not a happy scene. This is a forceful conquest. This is a domination, right? Where whether they wanted to or not, God has placed them under the feet of Jesus. He reigns and rules and dominates over all things. This is like your kitchen garbage can. You try to push down the garbage, right? It keeps wanting to what? Bounce back up. This is the, this is the Lord saying, anything, any power, any dominion, any demonic force, uh, any uh, government, any person, anyone who would want to rise up against Jesus, God has placed all of it under his feet and not in a pleasant way. Jesus, in this sense, is established as conqueror. But also, he's established here as a redeemer. For all things, he put them under his feet. But to a segment of people, what did he do with Jesus? He gave him to us, to the church, to the redeemed. He gave him as a gift. And so the choice here is this. You either fall in the category of all things that by the, by the blood of the cross and the empty tomb have been placed beneath the feet of Jesus, or you are among those to whom he has given the Lord Jesus to fill you up as the one who fills all in all, as head over all things to the church. What that means is the head of the church today is over all things. Do you believe that? The head of the church, this church and the church, is the head over all things. And he gave, God gave the head over all things to the church. What power do we have access to as believers in Jesus Christ today? We have access to all power. This is a gift we don't deserve. This is a gift we shouldn't have. I read an article this week in Coleman, Alabama, right there next to I-65 on November 19th. A waitress named Julia Ellison went to work at the Waffle House right there on the edge of the highway where she's worked for quite some time. Her and her family are not well off. They have six children. She works there faithfully. 
And the group came in with a bill of $74.13. And when they left, they had laid on the table a, a tip of $1,200, right? $1,200 for this lady. She was in tears uh, when she was interviewed by the little local newspaper there. And she said, this is going to change everything for us this Christmas. This is a gift that changes everything. God took the reigning Lord Jesus and gave him to us as a gift. Didn't he do that at Christmas? I mean, isn't, isn't that, isn't that a, 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 a plan that staggers the mind? That the Lord of all creation would come and lay himself in a manger and go to a cross for our salvation? And once exalted and risen and seated in power, the Lord says, To my church, to the redeemed of God, to those who have believed in his name, guess what? I give this Jesus to you as head over all things. We have access to incredible power through Jesus. What role does Jesus occupy today in your life? I mean, we've described him in grand terms today. What role does he occupy in your life? Or are there other things that are above him, practically speaking, in your day-to-day -day walk? Are there those things that you know are of more value and importance and those are your go-to strengths and comforts and peace? Uh, all of that is wrapped up not in the Lord Jesus but in someone else. What role does he have in your life? He came to save. He came to be the source of everything we need and to enlist us in the mission of his work in the gospel. Does that sound like the life that we're living today? I want to ask a question as we close, just for your own examination for a moment. Have you opened your life to the power of God this morning? Or, or are there corridors filled with other things? I want to put to you today that there's no better time than Christmas for you to turn your life over to Jesus. What does that mean? If you have never been saved this morning, Today might be a great time for you to come for the first time to place your life in Jesus' hands. To let him know that you want a Savior, that you believe in him. To repent of your sins and to trust him for the first time. He has the power to do that. In fact, the whole plan of God is behind him taking you out of darkness and bringing you into his marvelous light. Making you a son or a daughter of the king. He has the power to do that this morning. The Bible says about Jesus' birth that it happened in the fullness of time. In fact, it says it just this way. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Maybe today this is the fullness of time for you. Maybe this is your day to invite God's power to fill up the spaces of your being and make all the difference to who you are. What are you trusting this Christmas? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ already, what are you placing your life in today? Is the power of God hidden somewhere in a dark corner? Yes, it's there, and yes, I guess you've received it, but it really isn't making a difference to you. Or is it something that you're appropriating for his glory? Let me pray for you.